Well, welcome. I'm Stan Rowland, and we're going to get some stuff, Ted. There's some cards there and some of your papers. Uh, I'm Stan Rowland, and I've been involved for a while in the program called CHEG, Community Health Evangelism. How many of you have heard that term or used that term? Okay. How many of you have used that term in relationship to overseas village work? And that's where it's been. Right now, as you know, probably know, Chase being used in 120 countries of the world, 5,000 villages, but over 500 people. What we've done, what I've been involved in the last five years, four years, is how do you adapt what we've been doing all over the world, primarily and initially, to work with the urban poor? Primarily and initially in North America. Now we're taking it back overseas. But and so what this talk is going to be about is what's the difference between rural and urban? Because there's a big difference. Each one of you has been given a handout that has two sides on it. One side is Buhugu. Buhugu was one of the very first community health evangelism programs in Uganda, probably before many of you were born in the early 80s. Um, the Mrs. Brown is a case study on how did this apply in an urban setting. And this particular urban setting was in Washington, D.C. And it was in the northeast quadrant, 12 blocks from the capital. So, what we're going to do, I've asked you to skim it. What we're going to look at what are the characteristics of a rural community as exemplified by this example? And the answers are going to come from this side of the room. I don't like talking. I dislike PowerPoint, so I'm going to use one. Uh, but this side of the room, the answers, you guys are going to be giving me pop answers from what you've read about the Pahugu case. This side is going to give me popcorn answers, you know popcorn. Uh, popcorn answers on Mrs. Brown's neighborhood. And what we'll come up with is a comparison of the two. And we'll use that as a jumping off spot. I would like two people to be my scribes. Any of you that have been through our trainings, you know, we use you horribly. Lots. So, I need somebody that will be, and we're going to put it over there. We've got one column entitled Rural, 
and another column titled Irma. So, who wants to write? Okay, you can choose either one you want to write for. I don't care. The only thing is, now, two things. Spelling does not count. Any of you that are teachers and perfectionists, zip your lip. Don't try and change it. We're just to get it right. We're just trying to get the answers up there. Okay? I need one more. Normally, I'm surprised there wasn't one here. Okay. Okay. The only thing is right big because eyes over here. It'll be hard. Okay, so what we're going to do, first I'm going to pray for this session, now that I've told you what we're going to do. And then, so be looking, look for points. In other words, you've got paragraphs there and sentences, but I want one or two word answers that describe the neighborhood and the people you're in. So let me pray first. Father, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the people that are interested in Shag, whether it be urban or rural. Guide and direct our time that we might glorify you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Second marker. Is there another? Is there only one marker there? Is there a marker over there? Gotta be another marker. I didn't check out the joint ahead of time. I should have. You find one? A second one? Are we still looking? One word that describes it. We're going to keep going. It's going to end up with a lot more than just one. So. One language. Pardon? One language. Yeah, one language in rural. Typically in a village. How many of you have been to rural villages, whether it be in Africa or Latin America? Typically in a rural village, one language. Okay. What about this side? What? Give me an, a word or two. Hmm? Diverse. Diverse. Very diverse. Okay. Come uh, on, rural. Give me another. Hmm? Distance. Distance. Consistent. Distance. Distant. In other words, they're they're away. Yeah. Distant. Okay. 
Give me another word on the urban. Women-led households. I'm sorry. Women-led households. Yeah. Women-led households. Okay. Another one from this side. <coughs> mm-hmm. Agriculture. Yeah, agriculture is a bit in this particular village a big way that they earned their living. Most of the people. Okay. Over here. Urban. Another word. I'm sorry. Absence of grocery shopping. Absence of grocery. Okay, yeah. Absence of grocery shopping in the neighborhood. In fact, in a rich, you can tell when an urban poor neighborhood is improving. Grocery stores come. When it's going downhill, grocery stores and small shopping malls all close. So, absence of grocery shopping. Oh, I still don't have two mics. I got two mics. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, right. (laughs) I thought it was pretty good to get one on. (laughs) Okay. If I don't kill myself. Okay. Uh, Over here. Common interest. Good. Over here. Urban. Do you all know, out here, you Easterners know row housing. I'm a Western, well, I'm a Midwesterner, and we don't know row housing. But houses are right together. How old were those houses? They were old, 80 to 100 years old. Okay. Over here, rural, give me a word, another one. Same religion. Hmm? Same religion. Yeah, same religion. Urban. Give me another one. Mm-hmm. It seems like in this neighborhood there's a lack of uh, voluntary associations. Yep. There, okay. There is a lack of, volunt- of people getting together, but voluntary types of people. That's okay. Two words are okay. I just don't want one that's seven or ten words. <laughs> okay. Rural, give me one. Yeah, limited nutrition, meaning that they all ate the same food and it was fairly limited in the diversity of it. Okay, what about over here on this side? Lots of different churches. Yeah. How many churches were in this neighborhood? 18 churches. This, how big was this neighborhood geography-wise on the urban side? 12 blocks by 8 blocks. Eighteen churches. I'm gonna. I want to do a little bit more on churches because there's some interesting things. Okay, rural. Tell me something else. Strong community. Strong community. Words, a strong community for rural. Good. Okay, over here. Pardon? Drugs and gangs, Drugs and gangs on urban. Rural. Limited accessibility. Limited accessibility to what? To get there? To okay, yeah, the roads were pretty bad, so it was limited accessibility to get there. Okay, 
Give me more on Urban. Another one on Urban. Rundown. Rundown. Okay. Give me another one on Rural. Limited accessibility specifically to health care, to all kinds of stuff, but health care. Okay. Urban. Government subsidies, yeah, for urban. Government subsidies. Rural. Mm-hmm. Shacks. In other words, they were made up of mud and sticks and that type of thing. Okay. Urban. Give me another. Let's talk about the churches. There were 18 churches, we said. Where did the people that went to those 18 churches come from? Out. Our churches in the U.S., doesn't matter if it's a rich neighborhood or a poor neighborhood, are commuter churches. What's the church like in a village? Where do the people come from? From right there, from that village. So there's a very diverse setup from the standpoint of in cities, and this is true whether it is in Philadelphia, Washington, Phoenix, Nairobi, Mexico City, Delhi. Our churches have gone more and more in the city to commuter churches. While in village, of course, it's part of the accessibility issue. But people, there may be a couple of churches in the neighborhood, in in that village, but all their members are from that village. Okay. Uh, Tell me something else about rural. From the case. Poor sanitation or lack of. (laughs) Okay, so poor, actually that's two. Rural was poor sanitation or lack of and dirty water. In fact, there are a couple of people here in the exhibit area that are dealing with the dirt, trying to deal with the dirty water problem. Okay, give me another thing on urban. Subpar Subpar education. They had schools. But it was subpar. Did I? Do we talk about the schools that how? What kinds of schools were in Bahugu? I can't remember. Hmm? They got the same, but typically, well, in Bahugu and in many villages, they only are through third grade. While here in theory, you have all eight grades, you have for elementary, you have high schools, but the quality is very poor. So your education here is limited, typically, while in an urban setting, it may be there, but typically it's poor. Uh, Urban, give me something else. I'm going to wind down on this in about yeah, there there was in the urban. Who was that leader? Mrs. Brown. 
And was she formal or informal? She was informal. She wasn't elected. She wasn't um, part of any government thing. But there was an informal. What's the leadership here in a village, typically? Village chief. Whether it is through heredity, in other words, you know, I'm the son of a chief and therefore I become the chief, or appointed by the government, can be both ways. But there's a much more formal structure. The neighborhood size, we said, was 8 by 12 blocks. Here, how big is a village? I don't think we say how big it was, but are there demarcations for that village? If you ask people in a village and say, "What's the di- where are your boundaries, what will they say? Three kilometers by five kilometers? What will they say? That river to that hill to, you know, etc." So they really know their neighborhood. They really know what their boundaries are. In an urban setting, that's much more difficult. Okay, do you have any more really important ones? Over here, any urban really important ones? Poor childhood nutrition. Okay, poor childhood nutrition, and we said that here too. So both sides, that was a similarity. Okay, thank you guys. You're done. Now, look at the list. What are your observations about the two kinds of places? A city, urban neighborhood, and a rural village. What are some observations as we talked about this? Some thoughts that come. Okay, the form is different. Some of the problems are similar, but the form is different. What else? What other? In the rural area, it looks like there are more forces and more cohesiveness. More, yeah, there's much more cohesiveness in the village. There's a word that generally comes up, and the word is common. And you used a word No, in the very first thing you said, diverse. The big difference between a rural community and a neighborhood, doesn't matter where that city is, is commonalities in village and neighborhoods, there ain't none. (laughs) There used to be. Some of you guys that are older, not as old as me, but older, how many of you grew up in a neighborhood in a city? We used to have, before the 50s, neighborhoods. We had the Greek neighborhood, the Polish neighborhood, the African-American neighborhood, the the Welsh neighborhood where people that were like-minded came together, or like 
heritage came together. But what happened in the 50s? Everybody worked primarily in the city, and their jobs were in the city center, and their houses were there. But people said, I want to move out and get a little room. So people moved out. Then what was their next statement? Once they got out there and their jobs are still in the city, what do you think they wanted next? Freeways. You got it. Freeways. Why? <laughs> so I can get to work. And what they did, what the government did, was do freeways. Where did they do the freeways? Where they could get the cheapest land. Where the land, I mean, you know, straight line from here to the city center. And that split up some of the old poor neighborhoods. They, in some of those neighborhoods, were somewhat run down. They were split up. And people began to move. Question, how many of you have lived in more than five places since your birth? Okay, yeah, pretty good percentage. Ten places. Fifteen places. The big difference is people in villages, do they move much? And if they do move to the city and you ask them where are they from, what do they say? The village. Americans, when you ask them where are they from, what do you say? Hmm? Currently. In other words, where you are currently. And so, most people, unless you grew up in a fairly smaller town. We've lived in over 25 places. I, as a city boy, I grew up in Chicago <laughs> on the west side. Uh, but we moved. And so, um, big difference. You get the idea? In Che, we are dealing with true community. The word community has two words to it. What are the two words? Common and unity. The more people have in common, the greater their sense of unity. In rural, in urban, there is no community anymore. So, okay. Now I get to the wonderful. <clears throat> We're going to talk about comparing urban to rural and where we're going, where I'm coming from is I'm really beginning to move, well, I have moved totally, into the concept of how do you work with urban neighborhoods. And we'll talk about how do you define a neighborhood in a city. And when I say we'll talk about, this is going to be shotgun. This is going to be very fast. It's going to be very superficial. But that's okay. You, we've talked about the difference between rural communities and urban communities. Primarily, rural communities, you've all seen them. And Che, historically, by the way, Che, Community Health Evangelism. If I use an acronym, wave at me. 
I'm a good American, even though I've lived overseas. It's a good portion. I still <clears throat> use acronyms. Everything that we do, though, we believe strongly that you need to be dealing with the whole person and the whole community, the whole neighborhood. In many of our churches, we think siloed. You either do spiritual ministry, evangelism, discipleship, follow-up, church planting, or you do development ministry. Ag, water, sanitation. So we silo it over the years. But that's not what Jesus taught. And we, we do TOTs, training of trainers, and a good portion of the first day is we're playing with your mind. How many of you have read the book, We're Helping Hurts? That'll turn you on your ear. And I highly, highly recommend. That's Brian Fickert that was supposed to have been here, here last night. Excellent book. It's a fantastic sorting book. <laughs> and we like sorting books. We have uh, a whole lesson on the biblical basis, but bottom line, the key is we use this an awful lot, as do other groups. And it's built on Luke 10.27. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. That's the easy part. Easier part. Because what's the second part? What do you do for yourself? If you can. What do you do? You take care of your physical body as much as you can. You're emotional, you're social. But in Luke 10, 27, you're told that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. So just dealing with the physical side is loving them, but not totally. Just dealing with the spiritual side. I know. Is not totally loving them as you love yourself. If you, there's a great little booklet out, a study guide, uh, a five lesson study guide called Beyond the Sacred Secular Divide. It's put out, it's a YWAM publication, or it was written by guys from the Disciple the Nations Alliance, DNA. Beyond the Sacred Secular Divide by Scott Allen. If you go to Amazon, somebody yesterday went to Amazon, and you can buy new and used copies, you know, through the, the resellers, not through Amazon, for three twenty-five. It's an excellent Bible study for you as individuals if you are struggling with the issue of inter. Word and deed go together. They aren't separated. You don't do deed so you earn the right. Sorry, guys. You do it, word and deed together, because that's what Jesus commands. And if you want to go deeper, I can give you all kinds of deep theologian ones. 
So, the premise of everything we do, whether it be CHE or, by the way, we call CHE, Community Health Evangelism here, Neighborhood Transformation. Neighborhood Transformation. But it doesn't matter which, the principles. We are concerned about the kingdom of God and kingdom transformation. It's God's kingdom come. It's health and wholeness, spiritual, physical, emotional, and social. How many of you have read the book or heard of the book Walking with the Poor by Bryant Myers? One of the historic books. He's just come out with the new version of it um, within the last year. But he talks a lot about shalom. Living in harmony. Shalom is peace and harmony. Living in harmony with who? Who do we need to live in harmony with? That guy up there, God. Who else? Ourselves, yeah. Others. And the environment. Very, everything we teach, by the way, is horribly simplest, simple, not simplistic. Why? Because we're after multiplication, 2 Timothy 2.2. I teach you who apply it, and that's good, but not good enough. You teach somebody else. Our multiplication, reproducibility is key. We're talking about restoration. We talk about good health. We talk about sickness in the relationship between God and ourself, God, uh, ourself and ourself, our emotional side. Uh, sickness is there's disharmony in any one of these four relationships. God, others ourself and the environment. And restoration or healing is restoration. So, transformation though is about a radical change. We really want to see people come to Jesus, but guess what guys? That's like giving birth to them. Now what? We want to see the kingdom of God begin to show up here. Is it going to be completed here? Absolutely not. It's going to be in the future. But it's not, well, we don't have anything to do with that here. We're only looking for the future. Uh Uh-uh. Kingdom of God talks about how are you walking the walk? Are you actually beginning to love your neighbors? Are you beginning to reach out in a holistic way? We also talk about multi-sectoral. Some of us are nurses, some are pastors, some are doctors, some are agriculturalists, some are social workers, and we only think in terms of our specialty. Guess what? We're teaching, our whole target is teaching lay people to be generous so they can help their neighbors. So you don't have to be a specialist. I know. This is the wrong crowd to say that in because all of you generally are a specialist one way or another. But that's okay. 
But if you're going to see transformation, you have to deal with all areas of a, of a person's life, and you have to deal with all areas of a community's life. Just getting them and taking care of them and curing their illness will help in one way, but it's not going to transform them. Yes, you may save their lives, and that's important. But it's real transformation is where people's lives are changed enough that they begin, people begin to see the difference. We are exemplifying the difference. I lost something here. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> um, so we're after transformation of individuals, and those individuals transform the place they live, whether it be in a geographic neighborhood in a city or whether it be in a community. What's our purpose? Our purpose in CHE and Community Health Evangelism is not just breaking the bonds of poverty or planting churches. They all come as a result of loving your neighbor and reaching out in word and deed. In other words, you share Christ with them verbally at the right time and the right way. This whole concept was started by a weird organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Any of you guys involved with Campus Crusade? And what's Campus Crusade known for? Four spiritual laws, evangelism. But they wanted to deal with the whole person. And this, we started this very first model in 1980, the Bahugu case in Uganda. Jesus is recognized as Lord over all creation and our development activities are to reflect the, the depth and breadth of the kingdom of God. God is at work in and through us to transform beliefs, head, heart, emotions, and behavior. Walk the talk. What's transformation build on? Now, this is hard for Americans. Relationships, relationships, relationships. In general, why do people, those of you that are docs and have been doing this for a while, or nurses, why do people, you know, we have an epidemic right now of obesity and diabetes and so forth. And you as a doc say, you've got to stop doing these things and start doing these things. But do most patients listen to the doc? be nice if they do, but they don't. I don't. It's our friends and family that really begin to have the impact to change your way whether it's smoking or whether it's exercising or whether it's losing weight. And so change comes about best to people you know and trust. So we're interested in one-on-one relationships. We're interested in neighborhood relationships. And 
we're actually in an in in the rural area we're after transformation of that village and in the Bahugu case there was some statistics there of things that changed death the mortality rates went down kids got vaccinated uh, the malnutrition went drastically down all kinds of things people learned and got jobs um, so in a city we start with a local neighborhood and then that neighborhood, you hook together neighborhoods so that they change the city. Same way in the community, in the rural. You work with individual villages who become changed. You network those villages together so they change the district. If you're you know, in a district. so But everything comes down to Relationships, relationships, relationships. We've talked about a rural village. It's a geographical place where people live. They've been in that same place for generations. They know each other, hold many things in common, strong network of relationships and have a sense of belonging. This is my place. While in an urban area, people are isolated. There's no sense of community. We are um, individualists. What do most of us do if we drive a car and we have a garage, we drive down the street, and what do we do as we drive down the street towards our house? Push that garage door open, or what happens? It opens. You go in. You close it down. You haven't met a person. And so we are isolationists. I asked how many of you have moved a lot. Think about tic-tac-toe. You know the game tic-tac-toe? Think of your house as the center. So there are eight houses or apartments around you. How many of you can name the names of the people that live in those eight units around you? Just their names, nothing else. Molly's okay or Pete's okay. Are there any of you that can? Okay, good. There are about three, four out of probably 60, five, not ten. But okay, of those of you that raised your hands... Can you tell me something about that each family that is not observable from the outside? In other words, dad drives a Maserati, so they must be rich. Doesn't count. <laughs> but we aren't looking for deep, deep down. How many of you? Okay, good. Two, three, okay. Fairly close. And so the key is... We do not know our neighbors. And I, you know what? In places like Nairobi and Mathari Valley and that, people don't know their neighbors. Now, people in rural villages are much more relational, aren't they? The DNA of people living overseas is relationship. We 
as North Americans and Europeans, very few of us are relational. I include myself. <laughs> Why? And even if we're relational, people don't know their neighbors. Why? They move many times. And after you've moved three or four times, what happens? Yeah. Yes, absolutely they are. Our lives are very, very compart. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And we've gone away from knowing our neighbors. Mm-hmm. I've heard it said that, that rural people will form their community based on location, family. Urban is more likely to form based on common employment, common interests. Yep. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. And that's fair. But if you want to see transformation, one of the things we teach in church, generally, we teach you how to do evangelism, or we teach you something. And we go do it in the place we work or our neighborhood. But the problem is, you're there by yourself trying to do it. And therefore, there's never enough mass to see any change. And so what we're talking about, uh, what we're talking about in Che and in neighborhood transformation, rural and urban, is a worldview change, paradigm change. We want you to begin neighbor to know neighbors, and we teach you how to do this. What are the characteristics needed for a community to be like a village? Neighbors live in the same geographic area. Neighbors know each other. Neighbors are available to each other. Those of you that grew up in a city neighborhood quite a while ago or in a rural area, when your mom needed a cup of sugar, where did she go? The store or next door neighbor. Yeah, if the store was a little distant, you go, but we don't do that anymore. And so we have to be available. How do you become available to your neighbors? You can't be inside your house. How many of you barbecue or grill, flip hamburgers? Where do you do that? Outside where? In the back deck. Is that helping you know your neighbors? How about doing it in your driveway? Or if you don't have a driveway, you're in an apartment on between, you know, if you have a little front yard or if you got that, you got a sidewalk and you got land between the sidewalk, you know, it's city land. I was going to use the term grass, but that's not necessarily true. But what if you begin to do things that do that? Or you want to get to know your neighbors? Invite six of your neighbors to come to dinner with you to your place. On the wall have three maps. I'll come back. Block parties, a good one. Yes, block party. That takes a little bit more organizing, but block parties are great. 
One of the things is invite people to dinner together, five, six families. Have three maps on the wall. World map, U.S. map, and local map. And then as people come in, you hand them pins or stickies. And you get the yellow ones, and you get the blue ones, and you get the pink ones. And what you ask them to do is put those every place they have lived in their lifetime. So the people do that. And then after dinner, I talk about, in other words, we want each person to talk about where they've lived. How quick would you get to know your neighbors, those six? Pretty quick. We don't teach anything, whether it be CHE or NT, that's rocket scientist. How do you get to know your neighbors? Walk your neighborhood. Jogging and bicycling doesn't count. Because... You're so focused on that. The purpose of walking the neighborhood is John's working on a car in his front, you know, in his garage. Hey, John, I'm Stan. I live down the street. I'm not asking you to go door to door. But you begin to think about ways to get to know your neighbors. You want spontaneous meetings to be happening as you're walking, as you're talking. Neighbors need to meet frequently, and we used to have common meals. The big difference in doing development in rural areas, the whole thing is about entering an existing community. Will they let you in? Does it matter if you're a white face, you can be a Kikuyu from a different village. Still the question is, will they let you into this village, Kikuyu village, in a rural area? In an urban area, we have to create community first. And we teach you ways to go about creating community. The neighborhood, what we're after is build a village in the city where people know each other, We focus on assets, and we talk about neighbors helping neighbors at different levels. For us, a neighborhood, I may have this, I forget. Anyway, we talk about a neighborhood. Every city is broken into historic neighborhoods. You live in a neighborhood, no matter where you are. I was talking with a guy in Cleveland. And Cleveland, he says, we live and work in the central neighborhood. Central neighborhood's very big. 17,000 population. About a mile square. Too big. But within that uh, area, there were five what was called estates. In this case, they were HUD housing estates versus, you know. And they were about 3,000. That's a good size, two, 3,000. 
The best way to identify a neighborhood is by where do the kids come, go to school. There's a local elementary school, not the big school, not middle school or senior, you know, high school, but elementary school. Now, there's some, Louisville is, they did some topsy-turvy busing. Boston's probably the worst. Boston said, we're busing everybody. No more than 20% of the kids that live in any neighborhood can go to the neighborhood school. That's bad. I'm sorry. But most of the kids still walk to school. In other words, they're within a four to six block radius of their elementary school. So the idea is keep it small. North American churches are commuter churches with very few members living in the church neighborhood. So we work primarily in neighborhood transformation through churches to empower churches to reach out to neighborhoods. Poor neighborhoods are neighborhoods where the church is. We basically begin to work in one neighborhood for impact. So we're geographically focused. And in most instances, the people that are going to begin the work, if it's from a church, aren't from the neighborhood. How many of you are, are know uh, Christian Community Development Association, CCDA, Superwork, John Perkins and all of that? He, one of his criteria, he, they don't really focus through churches. They focus through people that live in the neighborhood. And therefore, they're asking people, if you really want to work in the neighborhood, you've got to live in it. Well, that's great. And wherever I can find people that live in the neighborhood, I, I'm all for the guys that are doing incarnational living. The guys uh, downstairs in Christ's community um, health program. Those guys, 45 or 50 of the people that staff those clinics came from the outside and they're all living in the neighborhood. And they have house churches. But those house churches are neighborhood-focused house churches. Most house churches are not neighborhood-focused. They're interest-focused friends, etc. So the key, you start, and the whole key even if you're using outsiders that don't live in the neighborhood, it's important to become known in the neighborhood. Therefore, working with the elementary school is important. To build a village, we need to know each other. We need to be surrounded by people we trust that we can go to when we need help or provide help for them. We need to have trust with each other and then you aggregate those neighborhoods to transform the city. Now, to build a village, we must find out about each other. All of you, well, most of you, how many of you have been trained to do needs assessment? What's a needs assessment? What do you do? Doing it right. <laughs> you go in, you ask people what their needs are, right? Do they tell you? Yeah, but what happens when they tell you what their need is? 
what is an expectation in their heart? Yeah, I'm going to fill it. I'm going to fix your problem for you. Or you wouldn't have asked. So, the problem is when you focus on needs, you're focusing on the wrong end of the telescope. We focus on assets. How many of you have heard of a, a term called asset? Not acid like you drop, but assets. A-S-S-E-T. Based Community Development. A-B-C-D. It was a technique that was developed in the 60s by John McKnight, Northwestern University, Chicago. <laughs> and it's all about what assets are found in people, what knowledge, skills, and ability. So we focus on everybody has assets, skills, knowledge, and passion. Sometimes when you ask them that, you have to push a little. And a, a skill might be, I know how to walk a dog. Or I know how to cook. Or I know how to sew. Okay? A knowledge, well, I could teach somebody to sew. I had, in, in one, of the, uh, one of the surveys we did, was, I know how to beat the system. <laughs> That's Okay. It's knowledge that's useful to be others. Now, I'm not going to get into the ethics of that question. <laughs> but all people want to feel of value. We, as white middle classers, we go in and keep providing things for people. How do we feel when we provide things for people? Great! How do they feel when we provide things to them all the time? Low self-esteem. Hmm? Low self-esteem. Self yeah, I'll take everything you can give me, sure. But it just forces low self-esteem. When you ask people what do they have, what knowledge, what would you like to change, what would you like to learn, and then set up things so that can happen, then you're beginning to build teeny, teeny new communities. Beginning. You heard the word beginning. It's the, the tip of the iceberg. Focus on assets. It's important in an urban setting to find out what the people's assets are, what knowledge they want, what skills they have, so that you can use that, their skills, knowledge, and ability to do what they want. So we're, I don't even like to use the word needs. There are three ways to help people. Relief. What's a relief in a church setting here in the U.S.? What's a relief type of activity? Food pantry. What else? Blankets, yeah, giving out blankets to the homeless or, or. Now, right now we have big relief stuff going on, of course, for what's just happened on the East Coast. And that's needed, okay? But most churches, when they're doing things for people and loving their neighbors, it's all focused on relief, and they don't realize that. 
betterment is where you come alongside somebody to equip them to improve something that they want to improve. Betterment. Diabetes. How, what do you need to do? You come along, might be a support group, might be one-on-one coaching, might be tutoring kids. Development is where people begin to do stuff and begin to reach out to see multiplication take place. All of these things we spend a lot of time on. Key principles, we've talked about them. We focus on holistic ministry, physical, spiritual, emotional, and social. We, we are all, cons- uh, we are an integrated approach, multi-sectoral. So we just don't do medical. We want people to be able to be helped in all sectors of life by people like themselves. That's people sitting in the pew. That's the volunteers that come to your clinic to help. They could be doing these kinds of things. We talk about multiplication. A key principle is focus on assets, not needs. So all of these things are important. So the strategy, what we do here in the U.S., we find churches in a city that are externally focused. In other words, they want to reach out, outside of their four walls. And then it's all about creating new sub-communities and villages within a given neighborhood that that church wants to work in. We find the assets. We teach them how to meet. So they go out and meet neighbors. We teach them how to equip them to have assets. And then we connect small interest groups together. As an example, we help people create a history of that neighborhood because every neighborhood has a history. Nobody knows it many times. But we equip you how to do that. This people in a church, when you look at this funnel, most people in a church and in a neighborhood are willing to do something that's easy, one time, no commitment, little relationship. Serve days is a good example. It's a good thing to do because it builds visibility and credibility for the church. But there's no commitment. There are a smaller percentage of people that are willing to become more engaged, come alongside. They're the people that uh, are beginning to say, okay, maybe I'll be willing to tutor kids in the elementary school. Or maybe I will, if We have people where we're giving goods out. The focus of giving goods out is the neighborhood, but instead of coming to the church to do it, I'll go to you and I'll deliver the goods to you. For what purpose? To deliver the goods? Relationships. To build relationships. And as you build relationships, you then can get at the underlying issues. Why? Are you running it out of food, even though you're getting food stamps or whatever? And then you can begin to coach that person how they can improve this level. Or you can do church classes back at the church that does that. And then you need people in this kind of program that are going to take this and say, 
we're going to lead this and really lead the charge in our church and go into the neighborhood. There are three major players, and I won't go into that. Our training, the way that we equip churches anymore, and we've learned, how, how many of you have been to a CHE, T-O-T, training of trainers? How long was that training? Five days, four and a half days, and you went to a place. But if we're trying to train people sitting in the pew, and this is a new approach, it's not going to happen. So what we do, we do a weekend training for volunteers that will be starting the program. It's a Thursday night, a Friday night, and a Saturday, 12 hours of training. In fact, I just did one. Instead of the weekend, I did one Tuesday and Wednesday here in this week uh, with Southside Center and some people from other places. So, training is built on participation, more like I was doing, but I don't stand up. We sit in a circle. There's all kinds of things. But everything we do is built on we want to turn training into action where what you've been taught you share with others and it keeps going on. What are you after here? Transform neighborhoods from the inside. People knowing and helping each other. People knowing and growing in Christ. People taking responsibility. Healthy growing churches. Improved employment. And then networking the neighborhoods together. If you're interested in learning more, two things. This talk, not in PowerPoint, but NotePoint, is on this website. You know, the, somehow in, in the website for, for the conference, so you can go there. But if you really want to know, you go to www.neighborhoodtransformation.net. That's for urban. If you're really interested in CHE, then you go to www.chenetwork.org. So depends which one. They're two totally separate. Both of them are information-laden websites. I do Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> we need somebody to help us with our social media. <laughs> I mean, I do it, but it's fragmented. <laughs> And it should be coordinated. Um, I do do a uh, blog, but the problem with the blog is I don't do it enough. But what I do is superb. (laughs) Okay, it's time to quit. I think we're supposed to be done at 10 after. Uh, So thank you very much. I'll be around. Normally, this is the last session, and I tell you to come down to our booth downstairs. No, up here on this on this floor. But the problem is the booth will be torn down because you're going to the next se- to the plenary session, and then you're done. So use the websites. <laughs> <laughs>